Welcome back to another episode of Showing Our Sass, the podcast. I'm your host, Marta Gwynn, and today I am joined by my good friend, Nastasia. Nastasia and I are a pair of unexpected friendship, and it's interesting how sometimes when you're working, you can have a situation where you have to learn to expect the unexpected. Nastasia and I share this passion for education, and we have had a whole lot of fun since we first met in a very serendipitous way. Uh, Nastasia is also one of my inspirations for living in a very active life and just mixing it up with a bit of spontaneity. So this is going to be a fun conversation. This is my buddy who I will literally continent hop with. And I'm so excited to share this conversation with you today. So without further ado, let's get it. I'm excited, can you tell? I really am. Like, I'm probably going to get more ridiculous if you go, and that's fine. Because you know, you know me. A lot of people don't know me, but you know me. Um, what I'd like for you to do is start by telling people who you are and what you do. All right. So, hey, everybody. I am Nastasia Jones. I am, I'm going to say I'm a teacher. I'm an educator, specifically for STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics topics. And my great joy is actually working with teachers. So I like to think of myself as an educator of educators. He's a teacher educator. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. What got you wanting to do that? Did you want to have, did you have a really great science teacher coming up or did you wish you had a really great science teacher growing up? We'll go with the, I wish I had a really great <laughs> science teacher growing up, <laughs> which is crazy because I really don't know how I got in science. Well, no, I do. Um, our community, when you are the smart kid, our community typically pushes you to say you should be a doctor or lawyer and that like that's the box they put you in these professional careers and that's it that and, we need more doctors we need more lawyers yeah. being black folks let's, let's be clear mm-hmm. absolutely folks. tell me where and, you're from so they can understand the community. oh gosh <laughs> shout out to washington georgia <laughs> small small town i'll say right in the middle of athens georgia and augusta georgia for reference, it's about two hours from Atlanta, I'll say Northeast, and small, 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 small. We call that rural. <laughs> rural <laughs> Georgia. <laughs> so right think about, well, they think about Georgia and they think Atlanta, they don't realize like there's, most of Georgia is rural. <laughs> Absolutely it is. In fact, I think right outside the county limits is where like the University of Georgia has a lot of um, farmland. So okay. a lot of the ag stuff that they do is right near our county. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's rural for sure. <laughs> so they can understand what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But so I knew law wasn't going to work for me. So it was like, well, I guess I'm going to be a doctor. And you need to major in a science when you go to college to be a doctor. So that's how I ended up in the sciences. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of leads naturally into what do you wish you had known when you started on this career path 
uh, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself? I, I wish I had known more about teaching as a career because at that time, and even now, people look at teaching as the backup plan and not as an actual, this is my first choice career. If you are considered to be, let's say in the top 10%. So it's one of those, oh, you're too smart to be a teacher. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Wouldn't you want the smart people to be the ones educating the next generations to come? So I, I would say, I definitely wish I had known more about teaching, um, what it entailed, the vacation time, (laughs) 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 all of that. And, and, and also I wish I had known more about the struggles that teachers faced because you hear stuff as a student, but you don't really understand the situation, um, when you're in the student role. Oh, when you're a student, teachers are people. Teachers are teachers. They don't have family. This is really funny uh, sketch on TikTok that I ran into. (laughs) This guy, he's doing all the roles and he's parenting, meeting his teacher in the grocery store. And he's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm getting groceries for my family. No, you live at the school. You don't have a family. You have a wife. Who do you have relations with? I mean, it's hilarious. (laughs) He was like, you've fallen from Mount Olympus. (laughs) <laughs> and you're down among the world. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's true. You know, it, it was weird for me because my mama is a teacher, or was a teacher, is a teacher, will always be a teacher. So I knew that there were teachers who had families and whatnot, but it's, it's interesting how a lot of people, no, these are teachers. They, they don't go home. They, they don't get sick. <laughs> right, right. They don't have to use the bathroom. <laughs> Not at all. And apparently the administrators don't think so either. But um. I have so many teacher friends and people will see that through the series. And I don't think people appreciate like teachers legitimate, 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 legitimately are abusive to the bladders because of policies. I'm like, no, everybody ought to be able to go to the bathroom when they need to go to the bathroom. You should not be sitting there waiting for a planning period or desperate for a, a neighboring teacher to come and watch your kids while you got to go into the bathroom. You can do better than that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a lot. <laughs> oh, and that's horrible for women too, y'all. That's horrible. What did you like? That's damaging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not gonna rant. Overwhelmingly but. represent teachers, so and, and it's a real thing. It's a real thing. I mean, it, oh, anyway. <laughs> All right. But wait, 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 wait. I will say um, because you talked about you having the picture because your mom was a teacher, um, and it made me think about just to talk about rural Georgia again. Mm-hmm. When I think about my family. Um, I have an aunt who is a police officer, but in terms of professional careers, I didn't really see role models in that sense within my own family. So growing up, I didn't see what these different professions look like. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know until I began to start seeking out information for myself. Yeah, that's real. I mean, we, we typically will see teachers because you have to go to school. 
we'll see doctors because somebody gonna break something, get sick, or get born. Um, you uh, you have preachers because most of us go to church or somebody trying to get you to go to church. Okay. Um, but you might not you might not encounter some of these other uh, things that people kind of take for granted. I mean, you probably see the postman. That's a job in 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 our rural communities that people like you get that and you you make them carry you out on the stretcher because that's a pension, right? Yeah. Or there's factory jobs, and that's what we see a lot of times. See, that's we don't talk about that. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Rural communities are places where large corporate entities in agri manufacturing tend to go ahead and locate plants. Plants that need people to come and uh, make widgets and uh, deal with livestock and all the other kind of stuff. And that's good. We want to have jobs in rural communities. However, when you don't have balance, this is smarter. I'm not putting this on you. This is smarter because I got plenty of folks who live in rural America and have lived in rural America. You don't have a balance. You have children who grow up and they think, they're going to make it if they can get a job and keep a job at the plant like mama and grandma and them can. Mm-hmm. And, and, and is that right? Like, is that the best we can do? You know, I think. So I, because I am an environmentalist <laughs> by training, <laughs> that's not right. talking about that, right? Um, I, I do want to throw out that, yes, it's great to have these opportunities, but they're overwhelmingly concentrated in those places where we see high communities of color and we see the environmental impacts that those factories have. But that's a, an aside. Um, Are we going there, <laughs> But no, to your point, that's what it used to be like. And so when I look at my hometown, factories ain't going there. Like they, they're going other places because factories now look more like um, Amazon warehouses or um, electric car manufacturing places. They're not going to rural communities. Because no, um, they, the they need access to the interstate and, and everything else. And so you don't see those jobs anymore. And so the mindset has to shift because you have to push the children, the, the current generation into wanting something else. I, for me, a factory job was never an option. I saw how hard my mom worked. I saw how hard my aunts and uncles worked. I have a couple of family members who had to go out on disability because of various things that happened in the factory. I saw that and I didn't want that for me. I, I was always the kid where I'd rather read a book than have to go and do some manual labor. Like, no, <laughs> I will stay in school as long as I can stay in school, <laughs> which, which weirdly enough, I'm still in school. Like, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I'm on the other side of the desk now. <laughs> <laughs> And my family still joke, they joke on me all the time. It's like, you forever a student. Yes, I am forever a student. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> and I talk to, you know, my nieces and nephews that, look, don't be in a rush to say, oh, I'm tired of school. No, you need to rethink what school is and what it means to you and make it work for you. 
Get that paycheck. Get those stipends. (laughs) It it is not just about riding out until you don't have to go to school anymore. You are absolutely correct. Um, But I do think far too many of our young people who are coming up, uh, I'm I'm that person now. Far too many of our young people (laughs) don't realize that it's a tool. It's it's for them to take control and ownership of and leverage it the best way they possibly can. Not everywhere, and, and, and here's one place I'm going to push back on people who want to knock the U.S. Most countries do not make an attempt to afford educating everybody to a basic level of education, all right? I'm going to pound my American chest for a second. Most don't. Now, for those that have it, it's usually restricted to certain populations and whatnot. Um, so I, I don't want to hear that union because we make that decision. I'm not saying we do it the best way you possibly could, but we are one of the few places in the world that says everybody ought to have a certain level of education. And that's directly correlated to some of what we're talking about. They used to happen in factories with child labor laws and, and making sure people knew how to be generally safe and whatnot. You got to know your history. So that when people start talking crazy at you, because they actually know that's not true. Here are the facts. <laughs> so I, I I do have to give it to them. But I think also people realize the Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education, is only a full time. Sorry. How are I'm trying to turn my notifications off. <laughs> you know, I'm off here and ding, ding, ding. It happens. No, it happens like that. End of semester stuff and <laughs> listen. I'm just happy I was able to go ahead and grab hold of you, but but I do want to make sure people understand that the U.S. Department of Education, the national entity, mm-hmm. was formed in like the very end of '79 or '80, 1980. It's not that old. Because <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> people think it's been around, but the the ability to regulate, you know, to make sure we have certain common standards of education and whatnot that. Even that part is still a little bit of a new invention for us. So yeah, it makes sense to me that we don't have it completely perfect yet. Um, but that's not an excuse. We no. still have to do better. We have to do better. Oh man, but you oh man, you had me laughing about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I too was well, I was a kid who just wanted to be left to figure out how to solve problems on my own. I read a lot. Um, a lot of people labeled me as an old woman. <laughs> Um, I love the big, thick books. I was always ready with my coin when the uh, Scholastic uh, book book fair would come through. Man, I would get myself. Jane Eyre was one of the first ones I bought myself. And that sucker was thick. I have a copy of it. <laughs> and I loved it. I love Austin. I've, um, I've always been a well, mystery person. Lots of mysteries. I've always, even now, like with TV, it's crime shows. <laughs> Did you do the Choose Your Own Adventure? Okay. Have you ever seen those? No. Oh my gosh. You went to the, uh, that's right. I can remember. You all were me. Um so when I was growing up, there were these things called Choose Your Own Adventure. And so people would write these books where they had alternate endings and they were all in the same book. So what you read up to a point, it said, if you read this, then you go to page such and such, and then your story ended that way. But I love those books because you could go back yeah. and then you could read a whole nother story essentially in the same book. I don't know why they don't have those uh, that much anymore because they're fun. Mm-hmm. 
But they were called choose your own adventure. Tried that, but that sounds amazing. Yeah, we should bring those back. They've been reaching back and bringing back everything. We should bring those back. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why I'm so schooled in the whole idea and concept of a multiverse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe. Ah. Big nerd, big nerd here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Woo! Um, I had some notes I was going to get to, but maybe we'll come back around to it. Um, tell us a little bit about what you view as having been your biggest learning opportunity. Sorry. Your your biggest learning opportunity today. Some people say failure. I don't believe in failure. My biggest learning opportunity has been on the job experience. <laughs> like, yeah. I, gosh, when people say that when God calls you to something, that it's because He has prepared you for it, I am definitely a living testimony for that. Um, my my biggest learning opportunity has been the different jobs that I've held and the opportunities that I've gotten through being a friendly person and showing myself um, as a hard worker and someone who can adapt to different situations. It definitely has opened up doors for me and allowed me to be able to step into rooms that I know on paper I was not qualified to be in the room but because of my own abilities, you know, I was able to get there. And I know that was nobody but the Lord, but it, it, each job, when I look back at different jobs I've had, each one prepared me for the next, and they've all prepared me to be right where I am in this moment. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> but, you know, I know when I was younger, I was like, I couldn't see all of that all the time. And it was like, I just want to, what, what's the right move? What's the right one to do? I don't want to mess up because I don't have time to mess up. I just want to get the path and do the work and, and then rise and rise and rise. And that was a very. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, that's the, that's the conversation that I'm having with one of my nieces right now. So she is spring junior year and is like, what am I going to do? Because mm-hmm. she's looking ahead for senior year. And I'm like, first of all, I was spring my senior year and didn't know what I was gonna do. Like I knew throughout high school that I needed to keep my grades up. I knew throughout college I needed to keep my GPA high because I needed to be prepared for whatever came next. But I had no idea what that next thing was gonna be. Because remember, I said I was gonna be a doctor. <laughs> so all the way up until summer my junior year, um, the summer after my junior year, I did and a summer program for pre-med at, I, forget, I don't know what the name of the hospital is now, but it was, it's the one that's in Augusta. That's like the medical center for Georgia or I, I, they changed the name. Medical but, College of Georgia? Yeah, but they changed the name of the whole system now, and I have no idea what it is, but yes. And I ended up with an anesthesiologist who was stationed in labor and delivery. (laughs) So amazing. I got an opportunity to see a live C-section. I didn't get to see a live vaginal birth, but I saw a C-section and at that point, it was just like, whoa, these doctors, they just, those are power tools. Like, it's, it's not, you think so, care and 
don't harm the baby, but it's like they use power tools to break, yank that baby out. But anyway, I don't freak anybody out who has a child, but I think that they are truly inspired when they do horror pics on the sound effects. I think they draw inspiration from live births. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> they probably do, actually. <laughs> but so she was married to, like, I think the only. He was the only neuroscience, neuro surgeon, neurosurgeon. Um, and I remember the one day where their nanny had to bring the two children up to the hospital break room so that the kids could see the mom. And that was the moment where I was like, no, this ain't for me. I just, all of this schooling, all of this everything, and I can't be at home with my babies? No, it's not for me. And now, looking back, I know there's different paths you can go with, go as a physician, right? That mm-hmm. you can be a family medicine doctor or whatever, and you can have your own practice or work in a place where you can set your own hours. But in the moment, the entering senior year in college me saw that moment and I knew I couldn't I that wasn't for me and I still took the MCAT I still continued through the summer finished the program but I knew that I wasn't going to medical school at that point and so senior year whole senior year no idea what I was going to do but again, I made sure I was prepared for whatever came next. And so with my niece, as she is preparing for her senior year, she's freaking out on there's so many different things I want to do. So I don't know what to do next. And I'm trying to talk to her about, look, just prepare yourself for the next opportunity and the next opportunity will come. Just make sure you're ready for it. So that when you see it, you recognize what it is so that you can step right into it. And also make a path for yourself. Who says that you have to be going down this traditional journey of being a nurse or being a psychologist or being a lawyer? Those are the options she's thinking about. I said, there are ways that all of those intertwine with one another. And perhaps there's a position that will be for you to create that combines all of that. And the thing to focus on is what skills do you need to do what you want to do in the future? Because your next step needs to be focused on one of those skills. I'm glad you raised that because that's one of the things I think I have found most frustrating in the work that I do. I'm trying to help people align to the, the work they really should be doing, not what they think they should be doing, is that when you tell people you might need to create your job and they freak out because that they don't they don't want to they don't want to think about creating they just want to step into something that's already worked out and what I'm seeing increasingly um, the more we move in this technology vein there's so many. It, it's becoming less common to step into a predefined job. Mm-hmm. And so what my concern for is for our community, a, a community for African-American, Black and Brown people, 
is if we hold on to this fear of creating opportunity, which is not of us, <laughs> but if we hold on to that, mm-hmm. we are going to get left behind. Many of us will get left behind. We are innovators. We've always been innovators. Where did this fear come from? I want to, I want your opinion on where did this fear of creating our own come from in our community? Because we haven't always had that. No, we haven't. Um, but when you look at history, I think it a lot of that plays a role in it because how can I put this? We weren't able to. So we would have these innovative ideas, but you look at how the systems are against us in many ways and how everything would be pushed against us being able to to step into what we were trying to do. When you look at history and and you think about um, the communities of color and the independence that was there and how it was stripped away from property to businesses to black owned banks at the time, everything that was stripped away, you know, people got in the mindset, well, I just need to conform to this job that they have for me over here so that I can feed my family. I think that's where a lot of that fear comes from. If I step out to do this thing that I know will benefit my community and would benefit what we're trying to build in this community, then it's going to be taken away. And now I won't have a way to feed my family. Mm -hmm. So maybe because, you know, I'm involved in a lot of uh, business development stuff right now, too, particularly when it comes to black folks. Um, Maybe one of the things we need to keep in mind is it's not just enough to go ahead and help support someone in establishing a business, but we need to make sure we're also tending to the wellness of that entrepreneur. I know the group that I work with right now, wellness is a big deal. And much like we saw a lot of pushback from the, and we're still seeing too much pushback on vaccinations because they just want to run back and talk about Tuskegee, even though there was a whole lot more stuff that happened than just Tuskegee, uh, but they saw the movie. Um, and so I'm not invalidating that, but socially there's a distrust because you know if we do this, then we're going to be vulnerable, right? We could die. That's the, the thought that comes in there. You look at the situation with, uh, even though that's not the case, you look at the situation with um, when people have seen movies like Rosewood, um, which was important to tell the story, but I certainly hope that doesn't contribute. For those who don't know, Rosewood is a story of community in Florida. Um, it was made into a movie, but it was another Black Wall Street. People heard more of that kind of thing, just like people saw on um, Watchmen, a reinterpretation of the, the bombing and murder of American citizens who happen to be Black uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't feel punk if you know that. Um, you know, it's important for us to know those stories, but to think about the, the psychological impacts on people, you're saying you should go and you should have a business. Well, when in some cases my grandparents had a business, they had the Klan run on them and burn their business to the ground. They had their church bombed. Like, this is my grandparents' era. This is not way, way back <laughs> in the day. Absolutely. So when we're talking about, yo, no, everything's good. You should go ahead and start a business and whatever it is. Are you thinking about the fact they might be slightly terrified that someone's going to come and kill them for stepping out of their place? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, those are all considerations that we really need to fold into, you know, these conversations around entrepreneurship, around being business owners or being your own boss. You know, we're talking about bossing up. What does that mean? <laughs> and, and how you get support. And I mean, because we're both, particularly as Black women, how do you get the support that you need to boss up, to yeah. step out? <laughs> Yeah. Let me tell you, I'm comfortable with my um, insurance plan for my job right now and some of the other benefits from my job right now that, you know, it would be great to be my own boss in this moment. But, you know, where where is truly the support to be able to do that and to know what you're getting into one with the knowledge of what you're saying, but also without the knowledge of what it means because there is no one within your network or within your family that if you don't have any business owners in your family then where are you getting the information from to be able to step out to to be confident Mm -hmm. and stepping out to be confident in making the moves to even get to that point and i'll say devil's advocate because we don't have a better term than it than that um some people say well Everybody can go to the SBA and they're very helpful. And yes, they are. Are they culturally competent? Who's working at the SBA office? Mm-hmm. Are they sensitive to some of the unique struggles of folks who are not white Anglo-Saxon males who are trying to go out and start businesses? You know, yes, there's a resource there, but is it culturally competent? Is it diverse? Is it inclusive? Truly, not just in word, Putting a webinar online is a good first move, but you need to have some other folks involved who can help break things down. I see it. I see it every day when I'm working with my folks. I ask them things like, are, they're doing, uh, oh, so this is a Black-owned company in Atlanta that's importing uh, fabrics and materials from West Africa, right? Um, Cam Swank, right? So in working with them, they're alumni of one of our incubators. I asked the question, are you aware of the U.S. Import-Export Bank? And they were like, huh? And I went, ooh, (laughs) you're doing business internationally and no one's informed you of this resource that that you have access to as U.S. citizens, okay? Uh, Doing business overseas, it helps to protect you doing business with foreign entities. I said, do you know about the World Trade um, uh, Center network? And they're like, huh? I'm like, they help you negotiate the best rates for how you're going to export your goods or input, import other goods in there too. And I'm like, have you gone to SBA, huh? I'm like, oh! But also think about like the generations of business owners. So on the one hand, it's, oh yeah, the resources are there. You just got to go use it. But on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but these people over here starting businesses, they're not having to do all of this footwork on their own or no. at all for in some cases. They have a mentor who knows it, who takes them under their wing and says, oh, no, you need to file your articles. In fact, hold on. Let me call my personal assistant. Pull up my file. It's like when you're in, in, uh, when you're in higher ed. Ooh, let's tell some secrets. Like when you're in higher ed and you're thinking about going to graduate school, you know, it's the difference between having a mentor who says, uh, say, say you go through a doctoral program, <laughs> PTSD, um, 
And you have a, it's different between having a mentor who says, this is, here's my Vita. This is what you need to put on your Vita when you're going to do your job search for your first job, whatnot. Let me call my friends and see who's got a slot open that fits, who's going to take care of you to the next step. There's some people who have that. Most of us did not. <laughs> so you out there on the internet searching curriculum Vita <laughs> pulling other people's down there trying to figure out how do you how do you describe what it is that you did in the right way so it's going to hopefully draw the attention of somebody else? Mentorship matters, people. And that's one of the things that drives me nuts. People talking about, you want preferential treatment? No, I want the same preferred treatment that you've been given to the ones that are your picks. Mm-hmm. But even in the example you just gave, it's a difference in, like you saying, a, a real mentor that is like, here's my CV here's my teaching philosophy, here's my research statement so that you have examples to go off yeah. um, versus here is a link that will show you how to write this. <laughs> like, it's a big difference. And go look up Purdue like, Owl, you know, for references and whatnot. Great resource, but good God. Yeah, it's, it's a difference when you have someone who can help versus you stepping through these paths along. It, it reminds me, my I love, 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 still love my graduate advisor. But she told me point blank, I I don't know how to do what you want to do. <laughs> so I don't know how to help you. And I don't have a network to help you do what you want to do. Because she she was a research scientist, mm-hmm. traditional um, postdoc in research, get a position, tenure track position and continue through to get tenure, promotion, all of that as a researcher. But that's not, that wasn't what I wanted to do. And she knew that, again, my passion was to be at a teaching institution where the focus would be teaching with some research on the side. That's that's a conversation in a second. Um, But she didn't, she didn't know she didn't have networks for that she didn't know and she said and i appreciate her saying i don't know how to help you because you know for me it's you have a desire to help me and you want to mentor me you just don't you're not equipped to do it so i need to find somebody else versus oh my advisor doesn't care about me no she cared she just didn't know how to help me and and you literally were coming through your program at the time when the world was figuring out what a STEM, what, what do we call it now? STEM uh, education research or STEM education learning research. Like it didn't exist. So again, you got to create these things sometimes. Yeah. I remember having many conversations with you being frustrated that there wasn't a map already. <laughs> like, and even now I get frustrated because I see postdocs for STEM education. And You're like, why wasn't that there for you? <laughs> Is there because of you? Years ago, it's, it's because of you. You need to stand up and say with pride, "You got this because of me." Yes, it's 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 been a struggle. I mean, like you're saying, it's been it's been a struggle for sure trying to carve my own pathway. But I'm thankful because there is a community now, <laughs> and more so, the community used to be just grounded in education and. And so, you know, for the viewers, 
STEM and education has been separated for, for so long. Education and anything else has been separated. It's like, no, no, no. You want to be a teacher. You need to go over here to education in this box. I don't care what level, what anything, you need to be over here. Um, but if you want to be at the university level, post-secondary, anything level, you need to be in your field of choice. Your content area. With, with no education, <laughs> background no experience. No, no pedagogy. Classroom management, none of that. <laughs> but but if you want to teach at a university level, you know, you don't need any of that. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it's amazing now to see the networks of people that are, you know, biology educators, chemistry educators, math educators, engineering educators, because these are people who most likely were trained in those content areas, but they had a passion for improving the ways that we teach and we learn STEM areas. And so they sought out opportunities within that education silo to merge them together. And so I'm delighted, like you're saying, it's, you know, 10 years ago when I was looking for this, it it existed in very small amounts, but most of them were within the school of education mm -hmm. and they wanted you to have a K-12 teaching background before you could get into those programs at a PhD level. And they definitely weren't letting you get in there at a post PhD level without having that experience. No. So I'm happy that there are programs now <laughs> to help support this idea that I don't have to have taught at a K-12 level to be sensitive to what teachers need and to be able to support teachers at that level. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a matter of compassion and empathy for, for the situation to understand what's happening there. And I say, and a willingness to go and embed with the teachers. That is yes. another thing too, because my mom and I, we've had quite a few dust-ups about this because I've never, not once in life. Well, no, that's not true. I did volunteer in the school one time. Okay, but I've never been a teacher of record in a K-12 school, yet I ran teacher professional development <laughs> and supervision for STEM teachers for a whole state for four years. You know, uh, I have a, a great sensitivity to that community and its needs because I listen. I'm not just trying to come in and say, this, thou shalt do this, but you just helped me realize something. And I, I'm going to document it this way in case I don't get around to doing it in the paper. All right. Because, you know, that's the academy. People keep trying to figure out why HBCUs are so much better at teaching and preparing African-Americans, actually all students. Students who go to HBCUs tend to have a, a, a stronger foundation set for them when they go off into graduate programs in general, uh, when they're coming from the same kind of socioeconomic background, okay, where, where they haven't been to Xavier Prep or Chicago Prep or all other people like that. Um, and I think maybe that's grounded in the fact that many of the faculty of HBCUs going way, way back, they had to teach at the K-12 level. Yeah. And then they would sometimes also have a position at the higher ed level, being at the HBCU and whatnot, but they had that grounded experience in either primary or secondary education. So they 
crafted their pedagogy skills, whether they had it formally trained or not. And that can't, that same can't be said for traditionally white serving institutions. They didn't have to do it that way. Yeah. They weren't moonlighting in the district and then over to the college at night trying to teach class. Yeah. <laughs> like we did. Yeah. Anyway, I said capture that for a moment. That, 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 that's a paper. It would be interesting to see because you're switching my researcher hat on now. Uh, it's interesting to see how that has shifted now because that's not the case for HBCUs now. But we know that we, we as an HBCUs are still the top producers of African Americans in STEM fields with bachelor's degrees who then go on to get PhDs in STEM fields. So it will be interesting to see, well, how the, the situation you were just talking about, how it's been embedded in the system. It was embedded. It's embedded in the culture, not the curriculum. It's embedded in the culture. Yeah. You meet a student where they are at an HBCU. You don't look to your left and look to your right. That's some bull. <laughs> you don't do that in HBCU. No, you do that. <laughs> and, and some of the ones who are adopting those practices because they're trying to mimic white private institutions to do it, I'm not going to call no names. Some of them are jerk. Um, I don't agree with that. That's against our culture. We yeah. meet our students where they are. That's that's part of our foundational mission. And most of us have open admissions. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. And and if we're not gonna serve that, we gotta be honest. Yeah. We gotta be honest about that because that's that's part of the foundation of who we are. Literally people coming out of fields. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> that's our legacy. Yeah. Woo! Look at that. I love these conversations. Um, what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? We kind of been in that vein. I would say talk to a teacher. <laughs> and I know that that sounds crazy on the surface, but again, I was, what, first year of my PhD program before I ever went back into a classroom to see the teacher side of education. Mm-hmm. From that point, I had only been the student and I only knew the student side of things. And so I would say, you know, take the experience. Well, hmm. I did a lot of tutoring through high school, college and everything. So I guess on one hand, I did get some of the experience, but grading papers, under supply orders, like all of that kind of stuff. I didn't know the struggles that teachers were going through. So I would say, you know, whoever, whether whatever level that someone is interested in, if it's college university level, talk to that educator and ask if you can shadow in the day of the life of that person and, and have these in-depth conversations about, well, what do you do? How do you get to where you, where you are today? Um, what, what would you have done differently to get to this point? Like have those conversations with the person so that you can have a better understanding of what it means for them to be an educator mm-hmm. to help you determine internally what it means to you to be an educator because it won't be the same. I guarantee you two things they don't think about in education, lesson planning. They don't think about that. No. They don't think about the requirements of lesson planning, the benefits of lesson planning. People think I'm just going to get up and I'm just going to I got the subject. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna improv it. I'm gonna just 
you know, mm -mm. there's there's theory that informs how you need to educate students who many of them come with different learning needs in the same classroom. And you just keep rotating them every, what, 55 uh, minutes <laughs> or so? And the other thing that I think grossly, I don't think anybody is adequately preparing uh, uh, teacher candidates in, in their schools for this. How to manage workplace dynamics. They want to slough it off as soft skills. Either you got it or you don't or you figure it out. But learning to up manage a supervisor who's not really all that great. Don't give me any foundations on that. Um, how to manage uh, being in a workplace where, like in the sciences, okay, in the sciences, still dominated by men, okay? Still, despite all the great work of NSF, still dominated by men. That's okay. Men, men can be scientists too. But there are some workplace things that go on, and that that is really dove in deep on one of my other interviews. Just biases that happen. Um, uh, sensitivities that are not in place. I mean, accusing a woman of wanting preferential treatment because she's literally giving birth to a baby and you expecting her to go ahead and, and find some email for you? I mean, what? <laughs> what? Well, I mean, that was a choice. She chose to have a child. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a, they, don't, they don't prepare you for that. Uh, how, do you, how do you do the human resource management part? of being a teacher so that you can walk into an uh, environment and be confident in what it is that you're doing and feel heard and valued, um, that you are provided with career ladder information so that you can say, this is how I want my career to go. Not, how, oh, I, I guess, I hope, I hope things work out. Right. I mean, yeah. I got a friend right now thinks they want to go into um, administration. And it's trying to do the steps, but having to stumble and figure it out because they're not being career ladder like yeah. you would in nursing or whatnot. But anyway, I'm running my mouth again. Here we go. Um, is there anything you're reading or listening to right now, particularly that's inspiring you? Well, <laughs> I I don't. None of it's work related. <laughs> um, you're a whole person. All of my reading and, and everything right now is baby related. Um, so, really? <laughs> that's why I paused and laughed because it's really um, doing research on cloth diapering. <laughs> and <laughs> all of my reading is, is about that and what's supposed to be in a baby registry and, and all of that information. Um, that's, and I'll say to link it back to your inspiration, it's looking at, I always admire women who were moms and working moms, because as a single person with no children for so long in the workplace, I couldn't understand how they balanced it all. Kind of what you were just talking about in terms of like human resources balance. We also don't get work-life balance training. Mm -hmm. And I look at some of my colleagues now and it's just like, how, how? <laughs> because as a, again, single with no children, I struggle. And sometimes it's like, I just don't want to do it today. I, I don't want to. And how do you show up for this meeting and be prepared when I know I had all night at home by myself to do this and you had to take care of two children? Like how, how did that happen? And so for me, 
as I prepare to step into this mommy journey. Um, Ooh, see, she said it. I didn't do it. She said it. Yes, yes. Um, as I prepare to step into this mommy journey, the inspiration has really been to look at at moms who work, to look at um, stay-at-home moms who still have to juggle home stuff and children stuff and, and all of these things and to see that it can be done first. <laughs> like really? even in the moments where I think I'm gonna fall apart, I still it can be done. And it has been done for so long. And to even the the inspiration and I'm gonna jump into the people who inspire stuff, right. Um you know, because I'm on this journey, it is changing the relationship that I have with my mom. So, you know, the conversations that we're having now, and she's like, no, I'm going to be there. And we can cloth diaper from the jump because I've washed diapers before. Like I cloth diaper y'all. And I was like, wait, so all three of us were in cloth diapers? Like, why did I never notice? <laughs> I mean, why would you know that though? I mean, right, right. <laughs> And, and I know, and so, and me trying to explain to her that cloth diaper and now doesn't look like it did, you know, 30, whatever years old I am, ago, <laughs> <laughs> that it, it doesn't look the same. And so to have those conversations, it reminds me of my own upbringing and how hard she works mm -hmm. while still, you know, taking care of me and having to juggle all of that and what does that mean for me because I don't want to have to juggle all of that like I don't want to make some of the sacrifices that I know she had to make for me mm -hmm. I don't want to have to make those and so you know one of the biggest things that I've said from the jump and probably the reason why it's until now that you know having a child was even a thought that was possible is because I, I want to be there for my children. Like, I don't want to have to have a babysitter or daycare all day and not, there's nothing wrong with that for the people who make the decision to do that. Mm -hmm. But again, I know how I was raised and I want to be the person who is taking care of my, my children. Mm -hmm. I don't want someone else to be taking care of my children. And so really thinking through what that means for me and reading all of this stuff about what mommy life looks like. That's, that's been my reading and my inspiration. Um, to it's inspired me to, to work actually, because it's like, wait, you need to get all of this stuff done before the baby gets here because yep. you're not doing anything else for a while. <laughs> well, when I think back on it, cause my mother also worked when I was, um, when she's always worked. And, uh, but I, it, it's fun looking back at it now. Mom was teaching in Chatham County School District. That's the family, y'all. Um, and she stayed in the schools after I was born when she came back from maternity leave. She was a working teacher while my, uh, when she was carrying my brother, but then she left the classroom and she went to go and help my dad as he um, um, needs some help with managing his law office. So, my parents did make an adjustment and that's why my my parents were always there but i was also in savannah where i also had aunts and uncles and grandparents 
who were around too. We all went to the same church for the most part. And so there was that, that bubble of coverage that I had. So my mom didn't have to latchkey us, um, you know, and, and for those who don't know what latchkey is, basically you're kind of giving your kid the key and say, here, you know, don't burn the house down kind of situation. I, I, I was not a latchkey kid in that way. Um, and that's no judgment. Some people had to do that. I'm saying I didn't have that experience. And because of that, I said, I always knew that, and I, have, I don't have any kids, but I always knew if I was going to have children, I was not going to be a parent who handed my children off to somebody else to raise. And I didn't care what I had to do. If I had to start a business, if I had to um, um, be designated to work remotely, if I had to marry rich, I mean, whatever, <laughs> I was not. <laughs> my husband's rich in spirit and creative. <laughs> um, he's a wonderful man. Uh, but I was like, I'm not going to be the one who is trying to schedule time to be with my kid. Because my mom also went back and did a graduate degree. She did a doctorate when I was young. And that very form and fixed in my mind, no, I don't want that for my kid. Love my mama. I, I was never going to be in a doctoral program while trying to raise children. That was never going to happen. <laughs> for full form fixed, not going to happen. Uh, Because there is a sacrifice, Mm -hmm. Um, but I could end up going in deep on that one. Let me uh, let me keep going. Let me ask you this one: What's a common myth about your profession of teaching or education that you want to debunk for the people? Teachers don't get paid. (laughs) You're gonna have to explain that for people in the back. So, a lot of people automatically think if you want to live comfortably, you can't be a teacher, and that's not necessarily true that it's a again the conversation you had about business ownership and stuff it's about being able to market your skills Mm -hmm. for other purposes while also teaching and i say that because a lot of teachers are consultants a lot of teachers when you so back up, most teachers only get paid during the school year. And when I mean teachers, I also mean college professors and stuff too. Not as them contracts. As educators, we have they'll say nine or ten months, depending on where you are. But it's through the academic year, usually August to May, some somewhere in there. So you don't get paid for the summer. And when you look at salary, you have to take that into account. And so it looks really low, but when you take the summer months into account and have coverage for those, or I've always been a person where I've lived within the salary means the base salary Mm -hmm. that when I pick up extra work during the summer or these different projects, it's extra money that Mm -hmm. I don't. I from the start it was no you're gonna live off this base salary period. Um, you stretch for nine or ten months over the twelve months because you have benefits that cover you across that time. There you go. Because of you, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so a lot of people will look at a teacher's salary and think, oh my gosh, like this is what you get paid. I can go do this and make a lot more. And it's like, yeah, you can go to this factory job in some places and make more money. But when you look at life, <laughs> how much vacation do you get? Three months of vacation. 
Absolutely. So you're essentially three quarters employees from a salary perspective, mm -hmm. but you you have all that time and people don't get that. It's basically like a teacher could act as though they had FMLA every year of their career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you think about all of the federal holidays when schools are closed, when you think about um, <laughs> Christmas break, that whole break <laughs> and spring break and summer break, like all of that versus a factory job where you get two weeks vacation. No, that wasn't for me. Like I love my off time. Mm -hmm. Now, some people keep picking up stuff to cover expenses and stuff and they don't really have an off time, but I try my best to protect my vacation time that you truly need to take time to, to vacate mentally from it so that you can get back to it. So I'll say, um, there are different ways that educators can earn more money on top of the salary that they have. No, we don't get paid overtime like some jobs do, but you can pick up. You can do professional development that pays you. So you can sit through this. I just did a, a, a two-day professional development where they paid me to do the professional development. So I'm getting information, but I'm also getting a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, consultant work. So I can get different contracts to do different things depending on what your skill set is. So I think money is really one of the, the myths. I'm so glad you raised that one. I'm so glad. Yay! I didn't have to talk to you that much. Um, so now I think because of time, I'm going to take us to my favorite segment, which is skills of speech. You have a choice. You can tell the people some of my business that you think they need to know that they don't know, or you can ask me a question and I have to answer it fully on an honest way. Mm -hmm. One or the other. Somebody tried to go and pull both. <laughs> Do both. Uh -oh. Okay, okay. I'm going to ask a question because I'm nosy. Um, I know that you have been increasingly traveling more and more, although COVID threw, you know, some wrenches in our plans. Sure did. Um, so I want to know, wait, my question is more of a two-part question. I'll permit it. Okay. I want to know about 2022 ideas for travel that you really want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then I kind of, and it may actually be part of this, but I would love to know one place that you've really been trying to get to. Okay. Um, I can kind of wrap that into uh, the same answer, really. Let me, take notes. Let me take notes so I can plan my 22 based off of. Oh, really? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, this is recorded, too. <laughs> um, so in 2022, my feet are going to touch the African continent, period. I don't care. You can send another pandemic around. I'm going to get out before they shut the borders and I'm gone. I'm going to set my feet. Make that happen. I'm going to set my feet on the African continent. Um, that's, hopefully in that's multiple. Happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that was going to happen in 21. <laughs> I was going. And then, yeah. Um, so, uh, well, actually, I was going to do it at the end of 20. No, yeah, in 2020. Actually, that was the original plan. Because we, we were in Rome in 19. Can you believe that? <sighs> yeah okay um 
so yeah, Africa is a big thing. Um, that said, I also, I haven't really put a number on it yet, but I definitely want to tick up my um, number of countries. But my real focus, I, I, I mean, I have to go back to Europe. I got to go see my littles because they're growing so fast. I can't stand it. You got to see the picture of Eva. She's the attitude, my Lord. Um, that's my new job. She's my, she's my vengeance. She's, she's my sweetie. joy. <laughs> both of them are sweetie pies. Oh, they are. Absolutely. I both my, of them. My, my heart softens to girls. Yeah, well, Eli made me a, a auntie, so, you know, he's, he's always going to hold that, that place. That's, too, but he thinks too much. That's probably my situation, too. Like, the first couple nep- nieces, nephews were nephews. Yeah. But then the girls came, and it was just like, mm. Got all to the table. <laughs> Um, one thing I am going to do, and people are going to think I'm crazy about this, I'm going to ride trains around Africa. Because mm-hmm. I love trains. I love trains. Um, the other thing I'm going to do, um, and th- some of this is probably going to happen across the rest of 2021, is I'm going to knock out the last seven states that I have not been to. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. Because that was also something that's going to happen in 2020, uh, in my year of 40, yeah. and for my passing. Though I did go across the country on the train. <laughs> Actually, I want to do the California one, the Western Seaboard one. Uh, you're talking about the uh, the Coastal Starlight? I think so. Okay, yeah, because California Zephyr is what you need to get over to California. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Coastal the Coast Starlight, yeah. Um, I definitely want to go and do a proper visit to Canada. I want to go to a number of territories. Uh, I want to go all the way up to, um, I saw this on Downey Live. He went up to um, the polar bear capital of the, of the North American continent, and I have to go there. It's amazing. You can only fly or train in there. There is no road. I was going to say, can you go via train? So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Churchill. That's what it is. Churchill. Manitoba, I think. Here's a thing that was really kind of mind-boggling for me that I'm still trying to settle in my spirit. I live here in the middle of the country. I'm in Arkansas. Y'all know that. And I never really thought about the fact that South Dakota and North Dakota are highly drivable from where I am. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I don't have to do all these. I can just drive. And so I said, huh. Now, these road companies are being ridiculous right now. Because they were all on the verge of bankruptcy before COVID. And then all of a sudden, they got to charge you twice what it is that they were charging before the pandemic. And I'm just like, yo, no, no. It's not right. It's not right. But that's okay because it's going to force more people to go ahead and use trains, which I am happy about. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and knock out the Badlands. And what I'm thinking is I might go ahead and drive up South Dakota because South Dakota is the only U.S. state that does not have Amtrak anywhere. In the state, yeah, fun fact. Maybe it has something to do with some of the reservations of where they lay. I don't know, but um, I know I can't get that on the train. So I was thinking, if I drive to South Dakota and then from South Dakota, you gotta go to Rushmore. Hopefully, it won't be on fire. You have environmentalists. You do know what's going on in the Badlands right now. Um, but I figure go there. I got I got a, a buddy who's ready to move there, so I got some place to kind of uh, uh, camp out for a second, and then I might go up to North Dakota and then hop on the Empire Builder 
and run west. No, I can't do that. I have to do North Dakota last because there's, there's apparently this thing where if North Dakota is the last of the 50 states to visit, you join some club and they send you a t-shirt. And I want the t-shirt. That's funny. I gotta do it. I, I'm just gonna do it now. But um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna knock out the rest of the fifty states. I've been to Alaska and Hawaii, so that's not a problem. Um, and I and I want to get the uh, rest of the continental. I want to watch the sun rise from Maine. Like I want to see it out at a lighthouse or something like that. I just want to the, the furthest point of the continental U.S. I want to see the sun come up. I want a beach, everything, lighthouse. I want the whole thing. Now that's um, you're going to have to tell me about because you know seeing the sunrise over water, period, is my on my bucket list. I, I don't know why you want to come with me. Just come with me. You should come with me so we can have You have to tell me that one because that I have to check it off my bucket list. Every time I try, it's cloudy. And I've <laughs> just been angry. <laughs> we tried what, in Hawaii. We tried. <laughs> oh, I got a beautiful sunset in Hawaii. I can show you. Oh, no, we can see. I've seen all kinds of sunsets over the water, but I've never caught a sunrise up over the water. Well, sunrise is tricky. Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> it's always cloudy. <laughs> we have some terrible time lapse, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, that's something that can, that can happen. Um, so yeah, I, I want to do those things. At some point, I'm going to go to Asia. But when I go to Asia, I think the first place that I'm I'm motivated in my heart to go is uh, Civic Bay. That's where my grandfather was stationed in the Philippines when he was in World War II. And something happened when I I pumped, I, I popped it into Google Earth one day. Just I don't know why it was just random because uh, we don't know a lot about his time in the service because he didn't talk about it a whole lot. Understandably. Uh, but when I saw it on Google Earth, I was like, I have to go there. My grandfather was there. I have to go there. So that's probably going to be my first um, place in Asia. Of course, Crazy Rich Asians made me want to go to certain places as well because I just want to see that uh, also. But Asia does not, it doesn't run for me as hard as, as getting to Africa. I got it for that. I have to. And, um, and the countries that are highest on my list, I mean, obviously, <laughs> don't tell Joseph. I have to go to Nigeria because, yeah, um, I'm going to go to Ghana as well. <laughs> I know that. Um, I have to go to the Gambia. Um, I very much want to spend some time in Kenya. There is a, a, an orphanage that I really want to go see called, uh, called KKB. Mm -hmm. I really love the work that they do. In what country? Kenya. Okay. Um, Tanzania, I have to go. Rwanda, I have to go. I need to see these high-speed trains. I think it's interesting that people want to say stuff about Rwanda. They have high-speed trains, and they're much cleaner on country than we are. We don't have high-speed trains. Um, yeah. Okay. I don't know how you call yourself number one. You don't have high-speed trains. Um, obviously, South Africa, I'm going. Um, I have to see Cape Town. I have to see Johannesburg. Um, I need to go to Cameroon. Mm -hmm. I need to go to Cameroon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's 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 a number of places that I just gotta have high. I want to see them all. That's why I said I'm gonna do the train. I know there are so many trains on the continent 
passenger trains and people are like wait they have yes they have passenger rail in africa i i have to look that up because i remember you posted the links yeah i've seen the links but i really need to look that up to see where i can take it from and where am i going because i want to i'd say the first one is probably south africa because it's going to be the one that's going to be most familiar um and whatnot, but um, I know I posted in Nomadness at one point because I found that I was like, yes, and people were like, what? Where Where is this from? Yeah. Um, there's something else too. I mean, obviously I'm going to go to Egypt too, eventually. Um, but I'm, I'm more interested in, um, so the 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 Kometan area, you know, the the Southlands, where, where, where the dark Egyptians were from, you know, that were actually, they're, they're Kometan. Um, I, I really want to see that. Um, yeah, I got a lot of places to get to. Did I answer that thoroughly? You got enough, enough tracking points? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, anywhere I can get to, I'm going to go. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, we're going after. We're, we're, we're going to have, and, oh, in sure. fact, I, I want to take my parents too. That's why I'm thinking maybe South Africa might be the first if Ghana doesn't happen. Um, well, Ghana happens, but we well, but see, my dad, you know, know, I we have friends who are in South Africa, and so that's a motivator for him. That that would be the only thing that would tip the scale on that one for me. Um, but that's something that needs to happen. He he told me that he admitted. One thing he always had a dream of was to set foot on the African continent. And I was like, you need to do that. Period. So thank you so much. Is there anywhere you want people to look for you online? You want them to find a good You're on the right addiction. What you do on the ride with me, though? Tell me about the uh, my fruitful pursuits. Yeah, you know, I'm still crafting what that I think each week my blog post is helping me kind of think through what that actually means. <laughs> so, I will say, uh, my word for the year is fruitfulness or being fruitful. Um, interesting enough, it was birthing, and at the time that it came through. It had nothing to do with children. <laughs> but it's fitting now. <laughs> but definitely being fruitful in in all areas of life. And I think it was just because of what we experienced in 2020 that I needed to kind of just stop and think about each area of life <laughs> and being able to produce good fruit in, in every area. And so this blog I'm able to kind of reflect on what that means in my life and internally kind of try to pull out what these different pursuits are of fruitfulness in my life and at some point we are going to get my website updated it is there though <laughs> it's there you can find me at drstassy.com <laughs> so it's there as well I think between Instagram, Write Addiction, and my website, that's that's me, Dr. Sassy. That's her brand. Sure, it has been for a long time. Or another actually. 
Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining this episode of Showing Our Sass, the podcast. We really appreciate you being here. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And just know we're hitting about the midway point for this season. So if you've missed any episodes, go back and hit that playlist. Uh, If you're watching and you haven't subscribed yet, come on, y'all. Really? Those of you who subscribe, we really appreciate you. And we look forward to more conversations with you all for the rest of the season. Thanks. See you next week.